ever thought about that? I mean, aren't we supposed to do good as Christians, as the church of Jesus Christ? Aren't we to reach out to the world and, and do good in his name? And yet we were introduced to a, a phrase this morning, the danger of being good. And I think in this very powerful video, Peter Greer, the president of Hope International, put his finger on some very important things that we need to look at in our own lives. This is what he says, I want to wake myself up to the fact that it's not just what we do, it's why we do it that's critically important. He talked about burnout, and he said we've got forgotten why we serve, why we do the things that we do. He says we're, we're so busy doing good that our family just gets the leftovers. We're so busy doing good that we don't have time in our life for our relationship with Jesus to grow. And in that poignant story, there he is helping these devastated people, giving them blankets. In the name of Jesus, powerful ministry. And, and then he sees his friend taking a photograph and his mind immediately goes to, oh, I'm being photographed. When this gets home and my friends see what I've been doing, you know, they're going to see me as, you know, this masculine Mother Teresa. And he realized in that moment a revelation of his own hypocrisy, the danger of doing good. Now, the Africans tell a story. This is not in the Bible. You won't find it in the Bible. But they tell this story to illustrate a point. They say, one day Jesus gathered his disciples together and said, we're going on a journey today. And you see those rocks there? Um, I need your help. Would you please go and pick up a rock and, and carry it for me today? So the disciples went and they picked up the rocks. And the story goes that Peter decided he wasn't going to hunk a, a huge rock around all day. So he found a small one and he carried it and they walked all day long. And at night... They went up into a hill and they were tired and they were weary and they were hungry. And as they stood there with the rocks in their hands, in the story, Jesus just reaches out and he turns those rocks into food. Well, you know who was hungry that night? Several months later in our story, Jesus gathered his disciples together and said, we're going on another journey. And again, I need your help. I, I need you to carry these rocks for me. And uh, so the disciples went and they picked up the rocks. And guess who was first? Peter was there. He wasn't going to miss out this time. And he found the largest rock he possibly could. And the disciples walked with Jesus through the day. And in the evening, they went down into this valley beside a stream. And they were immensely tired and greatly hungry. And they waited expectantly for Jesus to say the word. And he didn't speak. And when he finally spoke, Jesus looked at them and he said this, For whom did you carry those stones? For whom did you carry those stones? See, Jesus, in this story, he was asking the why question, why 
did you do what you did? What was your motivation? Was it to get something? Was it to satisfy some need you have in your life? Or was it to serve me out of love and obedience? You know, we can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. And if we look at a scripture here in Philippians, some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. The former do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely. What was happening here? The apostle Paul was in prison. And there were some so-called Christians who were happy that Paul was in prison. Why would they be happy? Well, they saw it now as their chance, their opportunity to get into the limelight. They were going to be known as the, the preacher, the one who brought God's word. And so it says, they were preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition, jealousy, and rivalry. You see, why do we do the things that we do? What are the motivations? We can have impure motivations that I believe lead us to weariness and destruction in our lives and burnout. I'm going to have a look at this morning some of the things that cause this activity orientation, this doing and doing and burning ourselves out because it's all based in a wrong understanding of who God is and what God has called us to do. Let's have a look at this. I call this activity orientation. As a young boy, I used to go to Northern Ireland in the summers. I was, lived in London. My family was in Northern Ireland. And I lived on a farm, a small farm. And I used to be amazed as to how my family killed chickens. There was no end of creativity as the way they did it. And I remember as a young boy watching this chicken, having its head chopped off. And after its head was chopped off, it ran crazily uh, around the farmyard, a frenzy of activity. The problem was the chicken was dead at the time. You see, activity doesn't necessarily come out of life. It can come out of death, spiritual death in our lives. As I travel, I find Christians weary, tired, joyless. I find churches the same, busy doing and doing, but they've lost their joy, they've lost their peace. They're tired, they're burdened. I find mission agencies, those who've gone out into the field, many of them angry and burned out. Let me read you the reflections of a pastor. He wrote this, Lord, forgive me. I've failed again. Some believers wouldn't consider it a failure, but I know better. It's not prayerlessness, not this time, nor evil thoughts or vain imagination or even unholy ambition. I've become the ugliest of all things, a busy man. 
It was okay for a while. The long hours, the constant pressure, counseling, administration, visitation, unrealistic expectations, relentless demands. I loved what I was doing. I was committed, creative, energetic. Like a quick change artist, I switched hats, changed roles, tried to be all things to all people. But there was no time for solitude. Radio scripts had to be written, sermons prepared, deadlines met. It was exciting and demanding. I was out to change the world. But there was no rhythm in my life. No balance between work and rest. I'm not only a busy man now, I'm an angry man too. I'm tempted to resent the people I love and to dread the ministry I'm committed to. He was a pastor, spiritual leader, started out serving God, loved what he was doing, loved serving God, but here we see his reflections of what busyness and activity did to his life. There was no solitude. There was no rhythm. There was no balance to his life. And he's obviously in a place of burnout. Let's look at another example from Scripture. And the book of Revelation, chapter 2. And it's the church of Ephesus. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen, and repent. This was a church that was so active. The Spirit of the Lord speaks to this church in Revelation and says, I see all that you're doing. I see what you're doing here. I see what you're doing here. And you're so busy serving me. But you know what? What I see is you love working for me more than you love me. You love your Christian activity more than you love me myself. And if you don't change, if you don't go back and recover that first love, your love for me, you need to repent or I'm going to remove you. If we just wind history back just a little bit, 50 years, and we go to a little beach, and there we would see a boat that's moored, ready to go and to take somebody away. And as we'd look at the beach, we'd see a group of men. And they're walking, and they seem to be very sad. And there's one man who's the center of attention, and obviously he's the man who's leaving. And as we would watch, we would see these men kneel down in the sand and they would begin to pray and then they would listen to this man who would share with them and talk with them and they would weep and they would hug each other and they would get up and they would start to walk towards the ship and this man would leave, never to be seen again by this group of men. What was happening? This was on the beach in Miletus. The apostle had called together the elders of this church in Ephesus. He had established that church. He'd lived in Ephesus for three years, almost lost his life there. 
But now the Spirit of God was calling him to leave. His life was soon coming to an end. And so he gathers these leaders and he encourages them in the Lord as a pastor. Church history tells us that that church grew to have a congregation of over 50,000 people. It was the largest missionary sending church in Asia Minor. It was known for its faith and for its fervor. And this was the same church 50 years later that the Spirit of God speaks and says, I see your activity. I see all your running around and the things that you're doing for me. You used to do that out of love for me, but now you don't love me anymore. You love doing. You love the activity more than you love me. What are some of the reasons, some of the, what are these, some of these impure motives? Let's have a look at a few of them that cause us to serve God in a wrong way and in the process get burned out. The first one I want to talk about is meeting needs. A need to be needed. Now there are, there are some people who have an unhealthy need to be needed. Somehow it gives them their identity, and it gives them affirmation that they're looking for. And so they're running around always, meeting needs, burning out in the process. But there are others who have a big heart for God, a heart of love and compassion and mercy, and when they see needs, they want to get involved. They want to help. They want to serve God. They want to serve these people. And many of them get burned out because, you see, you can't meet every need that comes your way. If you try to meet every need, you will quickly burn out. There will be needs when Jesus comes. When he comes, there'll still be needs. Jesus, when he was here on the earth, went around and he didn't meet every need that there was. What did he say? He said, I only do the thing the Father When we see all these needs around us, we can be totally overwhelmed and feed that God wants us to, to meet these needs. And God says to us this morning, I only want you to do what I'm calling you to do. There will always be need. We need to discern what God is saying for us about what we're supposed to do. Then another one is fear, the inability to say no. Do you, do you have a hard time saying no to people when they ask you to do things? A lot of people struggle with that. Why is that? Well, if we say no to a request, you know, they won't think we're really spiritual, maybe. Maybe they won't love us so much, so much or maybe they'll just reject us. And so what do we do? We say yes. We're already overwhelmed and then we add more to that. And we have no grace. You see, when God calls us to do something, he graces us, he empowers us to do it. And when we go off and just do things on our own, we quickly run out of grace. I used to have a sign in my office, what is it about no that you don't understand? Some of us need to understand what yes means. We need to say yes to the Lord. 
But we're talking here about the struggle many of us have to say no because we feel in some way we're not going to be loved either by God or by our peers. And another one, pride. See what I'm doing for God. Pride says if I don't do it, it's never going to get done, right? Pride says if I want it done properly, I better do it myself. That's pride speaking. Look at what I'm doing. See how important I am. That's what was happening with Peter Greer in our video. That moment of revelation where his reputation was more important than what he was doing for God at that moment. A number of years ago back in England, as I was beginning ministry in the arts, Someone came from the United States to London where I lived and began to tell me all the exciting things that this person was doing in the arts and glorifying God. And I said, how wonderful, that's fantastic. But in my heart, I was saying something else. In my heart, I was saying, you haven't seen what I'm doing. If you saw what I was doing, you wouldn't get so excited about this other person. You see, even though we were called to the same ministry, instead of me rejoicing, genuinely rejoicing, I was looking to my reputation. You see, I wanted to be the one who was recognized as doing the great work in the arts. Recognition. And you know what I found? When pride creeps into our motivation, we become very critical of others. You see, critical, a critical spirit, I call it. I can do it better than you. Do you hear so much of that around you in conversation where people are criticizing and pulling down other people? What we're really saying is they're not doing it right. They're not doing it the way I think it should be done. You know, I can do a better job than that. It's pride in our hearts. And I believe this is one of the motivations that pushes us into serving God out of impure motivations. And what about guilt? Ever felt guilty that you've never done enough for God? Live your Christian life out of that sense of guilt? Again, a number of years ago, my, my wife and family went to New Zealand for three months to do ministry there. And at the end of those three months, I was very tired, I was very exhausted, looking forward to coming back to Canada. Then I heard that my only sister had died in, in London and I had to fly back to London. I went to the funeral, got back here to Canada. I was just physically, emotionally, spiritually spent, looking forward to a time of rest and restoration. And the phone rang and it was from New Zealand uh, and I'd just been there and now they're calling me and they're saying, Colin, since you left, the Pacific Islands have opened up to the gospel and we need you to come back right away to train a team that we want to send in there. And my heart was sinking. I was saying, Lord, surely you're not wanting me to go back right now. I, I need to rest. But I said, call me back in 24 hours. I'll, I'll pray about it. And I got off the phone. The phone 
rang again 24 hours later. Well, have you made a decision? I said, yes, I've made a decision. I don't feel that the Lord's asking me to come right now. And they were very gracious in their response. But when I put that telephone down, oh, the guilt that overwhelmed me. How can you say no to the gospel? How can you say no to such an amazing opportunity? There's probably people now who are never going to hear the gospel because you didn't feel like you could go do it. And I struggled. When I went to bed that night, I just, I just couldn't sleep. And it was, it was quite late, and the telephone rang, and I thought, who's calling me at this time of night? And it was in Barry, a friend of mine, a pastor. And he said, Colin, I hadn't seen him for months. He said, Colin, I couldn't sleep tonight and I've just been praying and the Lord really put you on my heart. And he said, I think I've got a word from the Lord for you. He said, I feel like the Lord spoke to me that you've made a decision that you're really struggling with. And he said, I feel like the Lord wants me just to say to you that he says you've made the right decision. And he said, does this make any sense to you? Does, does this help? And I said, does this make sense? Oh my goodness, thank you for listening to the Lord. Thank you for sharing that with me. And I slept like a baby that night. You know, we can be serving God out of a sense of guilt. Let's have a look at another one. Performance. Seeking God's love and acceptance by performing for Him. We live in a very production-oriented society. If we produce, and we produce well, we're valued. As a school teacher, I used to remember what we called then open nights where twice a year the parents would come to talk to the teacher and to see how their child was doing and we would prepare work and we would put it up on the wall and the kids would work very hard to impress their parents. And what I discovered was this, that some of those parents never came. And the next day I could see those kids in my, in my class and the downcast look on their faces and I knew the deep hurt and disappointment they were going through because they'd worked so hard and their parents never even turned up. And you know what I observed? I observed that the next open night, those kids would work even harder. And they would work harder and harder and they would produce the work and I would put it up on the wall and their parents still never came. And you see, we can bring that attitude into our walk with God. Maybe we've not received the type of approval and maybe growing up we had to work hard at trying to be accepted, to try to do the right thing so that we would be loved. The thing is when we bring that attitude into our walk with Christ, what we do is we're continually working for him. We're continually doing things for him in order to get his attention, to get his acceptance, to get his love. I want to tell you something this morning. Not what I would normally say in recruiting missionaries, but let's say God spoke to you today and he called you to leave everything behind and go out on the mission field, maybe to outer Mongolia 
and you'd live your life there serving him and let's say maybe even at the end of your life you were martyred in that place. I want to tell you something. God wouldn't love you. One little bit more than he loves you this morning. Did you hear that? Because God's love for us has nothing to do with what we do for him. It has absolutely nothing that would cause us to run around and get his love and affection. His love is a free gift. He loved us when we were his enemies. You can't earn his love and acceptance. He already loves you. Let me put it another way because this is such an important thing for us to understand. There will never, ever be another moment in the rest of our lives when God will love us more than he loves us this morning. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There's never going to be another moment because God's love for you this morning is complete. And what is my response to that love? I don't go out to get it. I've received it. And Lord, thank you. I am so totally overwhelmed with your love that you could love me. Even when I wasn't your friend, you love me. And Lord, I don't deserve it. There's nothing I've done to earn it, nothing I can do to earn it. But Lord, you give it to me freely. And Lord, out of that love, what's my response? Oh, my response, Lord, is I love you. And I want to serve you, Lord. Whatever it is that you want me to do, I want to serve you. I want to be a part of your great restoration plan. God, would you show me what it is that you have me to do? I will serve you out of my response of love for you, not out of a performance orientation that seeks to get your love. And then there's the attitude of uh, impure motivation of wrong priorities. Living life with a list. Greer mentioned that we can be so busy that our families end up getting the leftovers. I don't believe that is in the heart and purposes of God for a moment. We can gain the whole world and lose our families. I remember a situation where I was talking to a global evangelist, and he was telling me all the great things around the world that God was doing through his ministry, and next door in the next room, his wife was sitting with my wife, and she was saying, I want a divorce from this man. He's never been a husband to me. He's never been a father to me. I look at the Billy Graham ministry and all the amazing things that those guys have done. But you know what each of them have said now? If we had to do it all over again, we would still love God with all of our hearts. But he said we wouldn't have our kids saying to us today, Dad, I wish you'd been around when I was growing up. Dad, I wish you'd been able to play ball with me when I was a kid. 
You see, we can gain the whole world and lose our own families, and it's not what God wants. It's not what God intends. And all of this comes out of a misunderstanding of who God is and how we're to live our lives in relation to him. Do you have lists? Shopping lists? To-do lists? Maybe some of you have a bucket list. But there's a list that I want to share with you this morning that I find so totally destructive, and yet it's, it's preached over and over in churches. I was brought up with this as a way to live my life. And all I've seen as a result of this, this list in the life of other people is destruction. Let's have a look at it. Order of priority lists. So, of course, God on my list is number one, right? There's no other place for God. He has to be number one. So what's number two? Well, maybe it's work. So that's the next in order of priority. And then, of course, ministry. I want to serve God. I want to be involved in my local church. I want to be involved in the community. So maybe ministry comes next on my list. And then, if there's time left, there's my family. And recreation is down the bottom. Why is that? Well, if I took some time out, the kingdom of God would fall apart, right? I was doing this at home, putting the PowerPoint together, and one of my granddaughters came over, and she was looking at it, and she didn't say anything. And then 20 minutes later, she said, Pop-Ups. She said, I just saw something you were writing. I said, oh? She said, yeah, you had this list, and the family was right down the bottom. She said, that can't be right. And I said, Tyra, you're absolutely right. That's the whole point. Of course it can't be right. This list is a destructive list. It's not how God intends us to live our lives because we will be so busy serving God, so busy in our work, so busy in the ministry that, as Greer says, we just give our family the leftovers. So how do we order our life? How do we live our life in a way that glorifies God? Let's have a look at a kingdom perspective. You see, we still have those things there. We still have our work. We still have ministry. We still have family. We still have recreation. But it's not in a list of priorities. Guess what? God is concerned about every area of our life, not in some hierarchy of priorities. He's interested in everything, and he wants to be first place in our work, our ministry, our family, our recreation. And we need to seek him and say, Lord, in each of these areas of my life, I want you to be Lord. I want you to be number one. I want your will to be done. Lord, what do you want to speak to me in each of these areas right now? Now, we know that there are seasons. I love that word. I love seasons. Wasn't too happy seeing the snow this morning, but I love seasons. And there's seasons of busyness. There's seasons of rest and recreation. There's seasons in our life, and we need to know if there is to be a busy season, then we come together as a family and we talk about it and we talk about what it's going to mean. And we don't just say we're going to abandon the family. We're going to say, what is God saying now? about this time of busyness or, or recreation. This, is, this brings life. The other list brings death. 
God wants to be number one first place in every area of our life. And the last one that I want to talk about this morning is Sabbath. Ignoring the need for Sabbath. We ignore Sabbath at our peril. And I think it's one of the great reasons why so many Christians are burnt out and weary and exhausted in their efforts to please God. Scripture tells us that God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested. It's our model. And then he goes on to command us to keep the Sabbath, to honor it, to keep it holy. So it's not just that God did it, he asks us and requires us to keep the Sabbath. And even the earth needs a Sabbath. For a year and a half before coming to Woodstock, my wife and I lived on a farm. That was a shock to this city boy. I had to go for a mile every time I went in and out through the fields and through the crops. But you know, I learned something. I learned something. I learned that you rotate crops because you get a greater yield. You rest the soil. You get nutrients returned to the land. In the Bible, um, it was clearly spoken that every seven years, the Israelites weren't to plant anything. They were to allow the land to lie fallow. Why? Because even the land needed a rest. It needed to recover. It needed to have the goodness put back into the soil so that the next time the seed went in, there would be a plentiful harvest. Sabbath is built into the very universe, and we treat Sabbath, our Sunday, so often like any other day. And I'm speaking to myself here as well. Come to church, rest of the days just looks like any other day of the week. And when we don't have a proper Sabbath, our strength is depleted. Our relationship with God is affected. We need a Sabbath. Let's read this from Isaiah chapter 58. from the message. If you watch your step on the Sabbath and don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day as a celebration, if you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free to enjoy God. Let's look at that. Don't use Sabbath for personal gain or advantage. Treat it as a day of joy. I love that. Then you'll be free to enjoy God. Treat it as a holy day, as a celebration. Honor it. Refuse business as usual or making money, or running here and running there. When I was growing up, our Sabbaths, our Sundays were the most boring day of the week. 
church in the morning, Sunday school in the afternoon, gospel afternoon, gospel service in the evening. It was a joyless, passive day where we couldn't watch television. We couldn't do anything. Hurry on Monday. We're not talking about that. But we need to find things in our lives that give us rest and rebuild us and restore us. Coming here this morning, worshiping God together is a part of that. And we can continue to think about him, meditate upon him. I wonder sometimes how many sermons that get preached from here ever get remembered in, in you know, a couple of days. We need to meditate on God's word and begin to apply God's word in our lives, be built up in him so that we can go out the next week with strength to do what God has called us to do. One of the things I found interesting with the observant Jews is that they define their week by Sabbath. So it's six days to Sabbath. And the next day is five days to Sabbath, four days to Sabbath, three days to Sabbath. Their whole week is focused on Sabbath, that day in which they're going to come together as a family and they're going to worship God and they're going to remember their story and they're going to celebrate him. Sometimes pastors and others, we can't take Sundays. Sometimes it's our busiest day. But we need to find a time. That's why a lot of pastors don't want your phone calls on Monday because they're taking a Sabbath. We all need a Sabbath. You say, well, I can't. I'm too busy. We all need a Sabbath. And if we don't find a way of having a Sabbath, it's going to affect our health. It's going to affect our, our, our mental attitude. It's going to affect our joy in God. We need a Sabbath. I love the Westminster Catechism in this statement. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Not just forever and ever, but to enjoy Him now. Do we enjoy Him? Seriously, do we enjoy Him? Or do we get more excitement about doing things for Him? Serving Him. God wants us to enjoy Him. As I close this morning, I've got one more verse. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Weary, worn out, trying to serve God and please God. Come to me, says Jesus, and I'll give you rest, relief. Rest. Refreshment. Let's bow our heads together.
Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. Your word is truth. But it needs to be applied. Lord, there are people this morning here who are feeling weary, burdened, some maybe even feeling burnt out where their life has been a whirlwind of activity and they know that there's something missing, there's something at the heart that's missing and Father, what it is is uh, we've lost our love for you. We don't enjoy you anymore. Sometimes even what we do for you becomes a burden to us and we complain about it. But God, this morning that you're calling us, you're calling us to a place of peace, and rest. And Father, as we've looked at just a few impure motives for serving you, loving activity more than you, meeting needs, unable to say no, the motivations of pride and guilt and seeking to perform to get your love, wrong priorities, not really having a real Sabbath in our lives. Father, we truly repent of these things like you asked the Ephesian church to repent. And Father, would you restore to us our first love? Would you restore to us the joy, as David cried out, the joy of our salvation? May we love you more than doing things for you. Father, overwhelm us with your love. And as we sing this last worship song, can I encourage you to use it as a response, whether you sing it or not? Would you respond specifically to what God is saying to you this morning? Come into his rest. You stand with us. stories what they think you're like but I've heard the 